afternoon, saints. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse 1, and uh, we'll read right down to verse 12. Uh, when, you, when you have it, uh, you can give me amen, as is our custom. Let me read God's word for us. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi by others. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have, we have proclaimed enough to be encouraged already. Father, we pray that you would continue to help us to behold Christ from your word now. We pray that you would help us to focus and listen intently, that you keep us from distraction. Pray that you'd help me preach rightly and boldly so that your people may be helped. I ask that you would do this for your glory and not for the glory of man. And pray that Christ would be exalted. I ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many Americans, uh, maybe you are among them, I'm not among them yet, uh, struggle with bad knees, having bad knees. Uh, it is enough of a problem that according to a 2015 report in the USA Today, six 160,000 websites are related to sore or bad knees and how to care for them. Uh, on those websites, you can get exercises and, and, and stretches and things designed to help you with bad knees. 660,000. That's a lot of bandwidth. But... That doesn't compare to the number of websites devoted to helping people with the problem of ugly knees. Over 4 million websites, as it turns out, are dedicated to helping people with knobby knees or fat knees or unsightly knees. That's what people are mostly interested in. So clearly, Americans are more concerned with preventing what their knees look like. And 
what they don't like about the appearance of their knees rather than making sure that their knees function the way that they ought to function. People are fine to have bad knees. They're not going to call a brother Stephen Brendel to come and help them with exercises to strengthen their knees. But, I mean, if they look bad in shorts, they, they will go to great pains to make sure that is corrected. And therein lies the problem of our text today. After Jesus silenced the Pharisees on the lineage of the Christ, and they have no more questions to ask them, he turns to his disciples and the crowd to warn them about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes, who in our passage are more concerned with appearing religious rather than actually being religious. And he'll give seven woes. And even though we're going to examine them separately, I do think it's important that we understand that all of these woes sort of fit together. So this is one long discourse by Jesus in the temple now, uh, talking about the, the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's likely that since the Pharisees were silenced, that they, are, they, they could be walking away. And Jesus is just talking to those that remain, his disciples and the crowd. And he's already warned his disciples privately about the scribes and the Pharisees way back in Matthew 16. And, and that was a private warning. And this is a public rebuke. And I think it's worth noting again that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You see it there in verse 1 of chapter 23. He's speaking to those he loves dearly. And so he's seeking to do them good, which means he's speaking to you and seeking to do you good. And so may God give grace to us today to be attentive to the words of, of Jesus. As we walk through Jesus' instruction to his disciples concerning the Pharisees and his exposing of their hypocrisy and the motivations of their heart, I'm hoping that we will leave considering this. Succumbing to the love of worldly praise and recognition keeps us, keeps us from seeing ourselves rightly. It keeps us from lo loving others and it keeps us from exalting Christ. And I hope that we will see because Jesus died as our humble example to purchase a people for himself. We do not have to succumb to the need to be praised by the world. And so, in, 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 in hoping to lead us to that end, we're going to consider two things. First is, we're going to consider the problem with the Pharisees. What is Jesus' problem with these Pharisees? And second, we're going to consider His call to humility in verses 11 and 12. Let's look at verses 1 through 7 first. The, the problem with the Pharisees. And in, in these first 12 verses of the, the, this discourse on the woes of the Pharisees, Jesus explains the problem with the Pharisees in two categories. The first category is that there is a problem with what they proclaim and what they actually do. And the second is that there is a problem with what motivates them to do all that they do. So Jesus is taking issue with, again what they say they do and what they actually do or what they preach and what they actually practice 
And then he's taking issue with what's in their heart. Why do they do everything that they do? Look at verse 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, the seat of Moses, or the chair of Moses, and and, and what that is, uh, seems to be debatable. It could be that Jesus is speaking figuratively here. So the scribes and the Pharisees teach with authority, the authority of Moses. In, in other words, they've inherited the status of Moses as the giver of the Old Testament law. And so like the teacher of the law, Moses, they also are kind of like his legal successors. So, I mean, after all, in the next verse, Jesus tells his disciples to do whatever they all are told uh, as it concerns the law of Moses. We'll we'll talk more about that in a second. It, it, It may also refer to an actual chair or a seat on which the scribes and and rabbis would sit when they would teach in schools and in in synagogues. Actually, in the ruins of old synagogues, there are special stone seats with Hebrew inscriptions or scripture on them. And they've been found uh, in in many of these synagogues and and, ruins of synagogues, and, and they're presumed to be places where teachers would sit and teach. And indeed, teachers, when they taught back in Jesus' day, they sat and the students stood. Either way you look at it, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, whether it's figurative or literal seat, having a position of authority. And he says to his disciples, first, do and observe whatever they tell you. And then he qualifies that statement with, but not the works they do. So this could be a reference to Deuteronomy 17, where God's people are instructed to do uh, whatever they're told in legal matters. Let me just read it for you. Deuteronomy 17, 8 through 10. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide or another, one kind of legal right or another, or one kind of assault or another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go to the place that the Lord God will choose. And you shall come to the the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office in those days, and you shall consult them. And they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you. According to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. So Jesus could be saying to his disciples, when it comes to legal matters, so long as they are dividing things rightly, according to the law of Moses, listen to them. Listen to them. Whatever they tell you about the law of Moses, I want you to listen to it. Of course, this this wouldn't include all the additions that they made. We'll talk about that in a second as well. This wouldn't include all the things they added to the law. But when it comes to legal matters, if they're cutting it straight and you come to them with an issue and they use the law appropriately, listen to them. 
So one fair way of reading this is that Jesus is not blasting the Pharisees entirely. So give credit where credit is due. If there's a dispute about theft or, or murder or, or in any kind of legal matter and they decide on it, abide by their decision. Jesus could be saying that. But remember now that this is part of Jesus' larger discourse on the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees have been marked by Jesus, by a specific problem. The scribes know they're teachers. They know what they don't do. Most scribes were Pharisees, and some Pharisees were also scribes, and they were marked by the fact, the Pharisees, that they prided themselves on only doing. And so they seemed to be very religious. But as we'll see in a minute, they were not religious at all. Well, I do think it's clear that Jesus, in verses 2 and 3, is instructing the disciples to give leaders their proper respect. I do think it helps if we consider Jesus' entirety uh, or discourse in its entirety now. He's, he's teaching in verses 1 and 12, but he has undoubtedly the rest of the, the, the discourse on his mind. These are the Pharisees who are laying heavy burdens on people in verses 2 and 4. In verses 5 through 10, they love special privileges. Later in the chapter, he says they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He accuses them of making up insignificant rules. He says they're killers of God's prophets. He says they're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And so even though all of that is forthcoming, I think it's still on Jesus' mind. And it's, 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 it's these people that sit on the seat of Moses. The, the NASB translate it, translates it like this. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. So, so in other words, they put themselves there. The, the hypocrites, the killers of God's prophets, the whitewashed tombs, they set themselves on the seat of Moses. If they say something true, listen to them, but not the works they do. Do you see the irony here? I say irony here because Jesus' lesson on the scribes and the Pharisees seems to, this lesson of do, do what they tell you, it, it does seem to go against everything he's about to say. Consider this. Do what they say, even though they don't do what they say. Do everything they say, even though they slam the kingdom of heaven in your face. Do all that they tell you to do. Even though, if you do it, verse 15 of chapter 23, you become twice a child of hell that they are. In other words, do what they say. But after looking at their life, do you still want to really do what they say? They've taken on the teaching of Moses, but have they really taken on the teaching of Moses? Leviticus 18, 4 and 5, You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so after examining their life, do they really 
abide by the laws that they profess? And should you listen to them in that same in the same way that you would someone who whose faith was persistent with their profession, whose life was persistent with their profession? Clearly not here. Look at their lives. They preach. But they don't practice. Now, do you want to listen to them? Which would make Jesus' statement about his disciples having one instructor, the Christ, all the more appropriate, wouldn't it? He points out what their hypocritical teaching produces in verse 4. This is what it produces. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Literally, it's they bundle up back-breaking loads. So this doesn't mean that the Pharisees weren't willing to follow hard rules. They prayed three times a day. They fasted two days a week. They tithed all that they earned, plus they tithed what they purchased. And they made up extra rules to follow. So this is not about the Pharisees when he says, you're not willing to lift a finger. It's not about them not willing to work hard and and follow the law. The Pharisees prided themselves on bearing heavy burdens. The accusation from Jesus is this. When people crumble under the weight of the additional rules that you place on them, you do not lift a finger to help the broken. That's his accusation. You place heavy burdens on people. And when they go, I can't do this. Does God still love me? You don't do anything to help them. No love. They're hypocrites because they sit on a seat instituted, whether it's figurative or literal, instituted by the God of Moses who gave His law out of love for His people and who sums up all His commands in what? Love God and love your neighbor. And isn't it clear that they don't do either of those. They burden people with commands, and when people are crushed by them, they give no counsel. They give no indication that they can relate to them. They give no, they give no help. They give no encouragement. They're happy to watch people sink under the weight of the law so long as it makes them look really, really, really good. Their pride and hypocrisy, you see, keeps them from loving others. They are, they're unsympathetic. They lack compassion. And so what they're actually teaching is doing more harm than it is good. But we know that this is not what Jesus is like. Because he promises a different burden, doesn't he? I'm confident that he's speaking to these very kinds of burdens that people are crushed under the weight of in, in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Not the yoke of the Pharisees. Take my yoke upon you. And, and here's what he says. And learn from me. You see the connection between Jesus teaching and, and, and giving an easy burden? These Pharisees are going, here's what I say. I'm teaching you. Now go and do it. And if you fail, well, that's on you. Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. If you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So have you considered the Lord Jesus today? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Why? Because he bore the heavy load of guilt that we bear because we cannot keep the law at the cross. That's the heavy, the heavy burden that the Pharisees are placing on others. Jesus actually took. He bore it. He took it away from all who come to him in faith. And he gives you a light and easy burden. This invitation to rest and, 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 and turn to Christ, is that's why it's directly connected to learning from Christ as our instructor. If you're tired, if you're weighed down, if you're stressed, if you're, if you're cumbered with a load of care, the song says, Jesus ready stands to save you and be your gentle, kind, patient friend and shepherd. And, and you will find solace. You'll find peace there. But if you are following the, 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 the heavy burden of teaching that, that comes with the Pharisees, well, they don't intend to provide you any peace. And we know that only proclaiming God's word also hinders our ability to care for others. So not only does it this, this directly point to what the Pharisees are doing, you're only proclaiming, you're placing heavy burdens on people, and you clearly are not able to care for them. If we are only willing to be proclaimers, if we are only resolved to proclaim God's word and that's it, we can become unfeeling to the weight of sin and unfeeling towards others. By only preaching and not practicing and failing and then running to Jesus, we don't enjoy the grace of God. And if we don't enjoy the grace of God, maybe it's because we don't think that we need the grace of God. And if you don't think you need the grace of God, how are you going to extend it to other people when they're in need? So following Christ by faith and humility and dependence on Him, don't you see it makes you sympathetic to others when they're, when they're suffering? It makes us compassionate husbands. I mean, isn't this, what, isn't this what rises up in us men, husbands, dads, when the Scripture says, don't provoke your kids to anger? I think this is a lot that has a lot to do with the, the kind of burden that we may even place on our kids. But if we run to Jesus as needy sinners, well, that's going to make us softer. It's going to make us like Jesus. 
It's going to make us compassionate spouses, compassionate parents, compassionate brothers and sisters. When, 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 when the devil's trying to use masks and vaccines to rip apart the church. Going to Jesus regularly in humility and not just proclaiming Jesus is how we're made like Christ. Rather than, as one preacher puts it, a Christian in the church, but a devil at home. May it never be said of us. So Jesus' problem with the Pharisees is that they're strict proclaimers of the truth of Scripture, but they do not care to honor God by how they love other people. The second problem with the Pharisees is what motivates them. Look at verses. This is striking. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. That is a striking statement. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. All of them. In other words, everything that they do is only done to be seen publicly. If it doesn't pay public dividends, they do not care. Which means that in their hypocrisy, they are only protecting what people can see. And in their hearts, they actually have no private devotion to the Lord at all. All their deeds are done to be seen by others. They do not care about what God sees or what He thinks because what motivates them is, can other people see? what? Can, other, can, you, can you see that? Did you see what I did there? At the 1993 annual meeting of the American Heart Association in Atlanta, 300,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers came together to talk about, among other things, the importance of a low-fat diet and its connection to keeping your heart healthy. But during mealtime at the convention, people ate fast food and bacon cheeseburgers and french fries and fried chicken sandwiches. And when a cardiologist asked, uh, uh, was asked a question by a journalist and they said, don't you think that you know, what you're eating there is, is, is like setting a bad example for, for others? This is a conference on healthy hearts. And the cardiologist says, I'm not setting a bad example. I, when I eat this, I, I take my name tag off. So it is with the Pharisees. If it doesn't harm their public reputation, if it can't be traced back to them, they don't care. One way that they display this is through what they wear. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries are these small leather cube-shaped boxes that 
uh, there's passages of scripture inside of them. And this comes from Deuteronomy 11, 18. Uh, and they would wear them on their left arm and they would wear them on their forehead. And fringes were these long tassels with blue cords uh, that were attached to the four corners of a man's garment. That comes from Deuteronomy 22. What's interesting is that the phylacteries, the leather boxes, was, by most biblical scholars' of interpretation, a, a, a literal, uh, it, it was an exaggeration of what was intended there. It's an overly literal application of what's intended there. By writing, the, keeping your, the God's word on your mind and, 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 and doing his word. But people had these boxes on their heads and on their arms. I mean, which already stands out? Right? So if I wear a leather box on my head and a leather box on my arm and I walk around, I don't know, Target, people are already going to look at me. Because it's obvious, okay? And these, but, but these are visible religious uh, uh, things that they have. And the Pharisees made theirs extra large so that everyone could see them. They went, they went to great lengths to go to essentially say, look at me. Look at me. Matthew even uses a Greek word here that means an amulet or, or charm. It's something that people thought would ward off evil. So it, it's also possible that by wearing them and making them really big and bold so everyone can see them, that they're thinking maybe God will bless me. The more pronounced this thing is on my head. They are interested with being seen by others. Their love for approval of others is motivated by, is motivated and clearly seen by the things that they wear and what they put on their bodies. Not only that, Jesus says they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Simply, they love the things that titles can get them. So when the so it's like when the rabbi comes to dinner, like we bring out the good, we open up the cabinet and we bring out the good the good plates. They like that. In fact, in Jesus' day, banquets were often set up like that. Seating was set up like that. If you were had a certain status in society, you got a special seat. You got like VIP seating. And as long as people can see them, they are happy to appear religious. As long as they get props in public, they are happy to appear religious. But when no one's looking, when there's no banquet to go to, when no one's on the street, they, they don't care. And so here, here you have the Pharisees who've seated themselves on Moses' chair, secured a high position in society, are recognized for it, and love when people call them rabbi in public like it's their actual name. Like, like, like they, weren't, they weren't Joe before they became a rabbi. They have this position of authority that by its function actually empowers them to tell other people what to do and how to behave. And they invited everyone, everyone to call them teacher. 
Even if you didn't go to their synagogue. I am your teacher. And they're using their religious status to their advantage. They are the equivalent of religious celebrities. They've become influencers. They've shifted themselves into a category of society that makes them automatically unrelatable and untouchable by, by every other, everybody else that they rub elbows with. Their seats at banquets are like roped off in velvet. And people greet them by their stage name. Not their actual name. I remember when, when I was... <laughs> When I would go to um, cafes to do to do music, and and people would come up to you, and 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 you go, I go, hey, what's up? My name is Anthony. Go, what's up? My name is Voice. I go, come again now. I'm Voice. What's your real name? Now, very quickly, they would, oh, my name's Ahmad or whatever their name was, but the Pharisees love, love when you greet them by their special name. And this is a picture of our day. We live in a world that is, 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 is obsessed with only titles. So we don't have phylacteries, but we do have Facebook, and we do have Instagram, and we do have LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn, for all of its usefulness, is a place where people can display their titles and their achievements and flaunt them. If Instagram is a place where, where people display their best everyday lives, LinkedIn is the place where people display their best professional workday lives. We display our titles and our degrees and, and people will actually make lateral career, career moves with no change in salary, but you get a title though. You get like director next to your name. And people, that, that makes complete sense. I will do that. More work, same pay, but I get a special title. Do I get a nameplate? Because we love being seen by others. That's why that's attractive. You mean they'll call me director? Oh, I'm doing that. It, it, it is, it's one of the most pervasive temptations of our day. People, t I mean, people take selfies, thousands of selfies, with no one else in the picture. And then they post their pictures online. They're, 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 they're philanthropic deeds, they're, they're, they're good deeds, they're passing out water bottles. And they go, and, and we as Christians, don't even think about not clicking. Many of us, I'm guilty of it. Don't even think. Wait, now why am I why am I about to do this? I'm not knocking career achievements. I'm not knocking the pursuit of degrees. I'm not condemning the use of social media. All can be used for the glory of God. But I do think Jesus' problem with the Pharisees should remind us that we are no less susceptible to the same kinds of temptations, saints. Look at me. Respect me. I got my master's. That's, I'm, I'm, that's, I got my I'm doctor now. 
We are like the Pharisees. And we can, we can be tempted and succumb to the very same things that the Pharisees are guilty of here. But Jesus instructs us. Beware of practicing your righteousness, Matthew 6, before other people in order to be seen by them. For, they, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. We could add, take no selfie. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. It's exactly what he's talking about in Matthew 23. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you give, so your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The problem with the Pharisees is that they did not care that God rewards the humble in secret. They wanted all the public reward that their place in society would get them. That's what motivated them. And consider for a moment, right now, what motivates you? I'd ask myself the same question. So like, if you knew that no one would know that you were here now, would you still come? To worship. If you knew that no one was going to go, where's such and such? Would you still come? It, 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 it is that pervasive, saints, that we can come to even the house of worship because I got to go. Like, if I don't go, no, everybody's going to say something. And God calls us here. To have our devotion to Him come from our devotion to Him. Jesus calls His people to something greater. We see His call to humility in verses 8 through 12. And we'll just look at this as we close here as our last point. Look at verses 8 through 12. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher. You are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What Jesus is not saying is that titles are bad. I don't think he's saying that. And most commentators, all the ones that I read, would agree. But he is telling leaders and followers, all of us, how to deal with with titles. So you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. In other words, the church is not a place of hierarchy where pastors and teachers make followers of, of themselves. It's a family of brothers and sisters where leaders make disciples of Jesus, not themselves. Wasn't this Paul's issue with the Corinthians? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, not himself, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, same language Jesus uses. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
That's what Jesus is warning against here. He warns not just teachers. He warns followers. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. In other words, pastors and teachers, in one sense, do not replace the, earthly, the authority of earthly parents. They don't have that kind of authority. Honor your father and mother is not honor your pastor as you would honor your father or mother. Or honor your rabbi as you would your father or mother. If you want to extend that honor to anyone, you extend it to, what does he say? Your father who is in heaven. And he warns leaders again. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. In other words, in other words, no one unseats Jesus on his teacher seat. Not even those who place themselves on the seat of Moses. So Jesus is our great high priest. He is our teacher. He alone is our good and perfect shepherd. Call no man instructor. You have one instructor, the Christ. You might say, call no man pastor. So what I don't mean is that pastors aren't pastors. I don't mean that Christians shouldn't call their pastors pastor. But I do mean if you forget that your pastor is just Valter, or your pastor is just Anthony, or whoever, if you forget that, you've wandered into some dangerous territory, saints. Because God can take the title of pastor away. And I will still be me. All my sins, all my failing, all my needing of Jesus and all of his grace, all of that. And the danger for pastors who allow themselves to constantly be referred to as pastor. And as like, that's how they introduce themselves all the time. The danger was that is the more you the more you are the more you do that the more you are prone to actually believe the hype about yourself that isn't real and you lose sight of who you actually are in Jesus You lose sight of it because you 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 just seat yourself on his teacher seat. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You all have one instructor. That's the Christ. So the lesson is, be careful. Be careful with titles. Be careful with degrees. Be careful with the honor that you get in the world. Be careful with it. Because I think Jesus' lesson here is, it's it could be dangerous. The only person who knows how to handle all the praise and all the glory and all the loftiness and all the names that he's given is the living God. Because they all belong to him. You don't know what to do with the praise that you get. That's why we teach our kids. Somebody gives you a compliment, you say, thank you. Glory to God. Just trying to work that in. Because we don't know what we go, we go crazy with the props people give us. Jesus is not removing the place of authority, 
for all time, in all circumstances, or removing the call to respect one another and respect those in positions of authority. But he prohibits his disciples from using these terms in the way that the Pharisees use them. That's what he's doing. To wrongly elevate leaders and to satisfy their pride. You're not helping them when you do that, you know. And by prohibiting this, Jesus is abolishing any kind of ranking system among God's people and situating us all around his throne. That's what he's doing. Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with those of the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And isn't this what Jesus purchased at the cross? A new way for people to relate to one another. Didn't he buy freedom, saints, from the burden of living for the praise of others? So in his kingdom, you don't have to fight for that. You don't have to fight for importance. You don't have to fight for status in the church. You ought not. You don't have to make lateral moves to get a title so people will listen to you. You, you don't have to move up one tier to get a special place at the king's table. Everybody gets a seat at the table of Christ. Because all at his table are sinners. And all their sin has been paid for. And so we have one Father. We have one Teacher. We have one Christ. Praise God. And because we are freed from the burden to, of, of trying to please others and get worldly accolades and win the praise of men, Jesus says, well, now you're free to serve. Now you're free to serve. The greatest among you shall be your servant. I mean, he just flips everything on its head. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is Jesus' answer to false religion and hypocrisy. Is humility. I, I know, I'm, I know it's, I'm, I'm long here, saints. I'm just, I'm excited. <laughs> How do we do this, saints? James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Yeah, it's only before the Lord that we see ourselves rightly. It's only before the Lord that we see ourselves rightly. If we live before the world and we live for the pleasure of the world, we can find all sorts of ways to exalt ourselves, lift ourselves up and compare ourselves to those we think are not as, you know, just not as accomplished as we are. Praise God, they're doing their thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm like, I got I got three degrees. They got two. If we compare ourselves to the world, it's easy to, 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 to prop ourselves up above those that we think are just less intelligent than we are. Or, or not as good with people as we are. Or not, or not the best parents or the kids don't behave the way that they, they should. It's easy for us to, to, to prop ourselves up above others when the standard is others. That's easy. But if all the parents and all the pastors 
and all the teachers and all the professionals and all the students and all the kids and all the intellects and all the presidents and all the wives and all of the leaders and rulers come before the Lord, well, then they'll be humbled. Because who is like our God? Who's like God? Before Him, everyone's status disappears. You have no status. This is what this is this is what this is what Romans 2:11 means for there is no partiality with God. Ranks. What do you mean ranks? What do you mean? Do you know who the Lord is? Everyone bows before the Lord. And if you don't bow now, you're going to bow later. And the most amazing thing about this the most amazing thing about this saints and God calling people and away from the love of the world and needing to be praised is the one who is worthy of all praise and all recognition became unnoticeable in public. Shai, weren't we talking about this earlier this week? He became a man that had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He became the man that you that you you walk by in the store and you don't even look twice. You look at the dude who's like, "Are those fresh? Uh, are those the new Kanye on his feet? Are those the Yeezy? Oh!" And Jesus just walks on by. He's worthy of all praise, and he became unremarkable. I mean, what a rebuke. But the interesting thing about what Jesus says is, my sheep know what? What I look like? My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. My teaching. My words. You may not notice them, but you go, look, I know that voice. That's the voice of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the picture of verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I know we, I think we alluded to it earlier. Listen to Philippians 2 again. Do nothing from selfish ambition. or It's the same message. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And where do we get this from? Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has done what? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that every name of, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He lived what he preached for you. 
And so here we have the Pharisees unwilling to relinquish the influence that they have, their title and their special status to their condemnation. And here you have Christ laying aside what is actually His so that He could be condemned to die for sinners. He is the great exemplar of what He commands. The greatest of all saints became a servant. And it's only through His becoming a servant, obedient to the point of death for sinners, for you and for me, undeserving. We deserve God's wrath. And Jesus bore it for us. It's only because He went through that that He's exalted. As one scholar puts it, though His earthly peers gave Him no good reputation for the believer, His sacrifice makes Him our heavenly King. We look to Him. We look to Him. And it's in looking to Christ that God calls us to do away with the special ranks that the world gives us. We're doing away with them because we don't relate to one another like that. We're called to do this at home. We're called to do this at work. We're called to do this online. And we are most especially called to do this among God's people. And the truth is that in and of ourselves, we do not possess the power to do this. And so we look to Christ. The problem with the Pharisees is that they wouldn't admit that they didn't possess the power not to do what they kept on doing. One commentator writes, they thought sin was a treatable affliction and they had ways of solving it. And all of it led to was self-exaltation. But saints, we must look to Christ. And the sooner we admit that we are nothing more than just sinners, in need of a Savior, in need of God's grace, the sooner we can get on with loving each other the way that we're called to do. You are no better than anyone. And it's in looking to Christ and running from the need of worldly praise that we will see ourselves rightly. And by God's grace, we will become so overwhelmed with what He's done for us at the cross and in His resurrection that we will overflow with service and humility and kindness towards others. And we need his help for it. Let's ask him for it now. Father, we are nothing without you. We are no good to anyone apart from your help. We thank you that Jesus died for wretched sinners like us. Would you help us to see us, see ourselves As you see us, blood-bought sinners, not worthy of your love, and yet you give it to us. May we be compelled to love others the way that you have loved us. We ask for your help. We pray that we would encourage each other to that end and that we would pray more and more until you come to be like you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.